How many of us would say that it would be easier to share the gospel if people would walk up and say, Hey, why don't you tell me about Jesus? Now probably we would all say that would make things nice. And we have thought how simple it would be if people would just come up and ask us to share the gospel. But the reality is that doesn't happen very often. I can only think of one or two times in my entire life where that has actually been what happens. More likely than not, what we have to do is figure out how to turn a regular conversation into a spiritual conversation so that we can talk to people about their need for Jesus. Uh, And that's probably the most difficult aspect of evangelism for all of us, is on trying to figure out how to turn the conversation to spiritual things. And I think this problem is going to to be intensified in a post-Christian era where very few people have any sort of an awareness of God, where they did years ago. Uh, It's not uncommon in our day to meet people who outside of a wedding or a funeral have never set foot inside a church for a a regular church service. And that is only going to get more and more common as time goes on. So how do we turn a a regular conversation into a spiritual conversation? Well, it actually begins with prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So open your Bible to Colossians 4. Uh, We're going to read verses 2 through 6. That should be on page 904 in the Pew Bible. When you find that, I must get a stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Colossians 4 and 2, Paul writes, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how how you ought to answer every man. title of the message tonight is Prayer and Soul Winning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Tonight we need your help and your strength. We need you to open up the Word to show us, Lord, how we ought to pray so that we can have opportunities and we would have the wisdom necessary, Lord, to turn a normal conversation into a spiritual conversation. And as we do, that, Lord, that Your Word would go forth from our hearts and from our mouths and it would sink deep into the hearts of the person that we're trying to reach and that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Give us all opportunities, Father, this month to be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. Let us this year be able to lead at least a couple of people to a saving knowledge of Christ, Lord, to, to see the, the thrill of helping someone cross from, from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Let us be a people, Lord, that are interested in desiring to be used of you to reach our community for Christ. And let us be a people that are indeed used of you to reach our community for Christ. Have your way tonight. Fill me with your spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, you notice tonight I've called it soul winning instead of evangelism or share the gospel. All of those are different words to say the same thing. I've switched to soul winning for this message at least for a couple of reasons. One is uh, in, in the Psalms it says, he, or in the Proverbs, he that winneth souls is wise. 
So the idea of soul winning is it's kind of a biblical thing, but I use it also soul winning because I'm reading a book, and for one thing, it calls it soul winning throughout the book. But one thing I've noticed as I've read the book, and it continually refers to soul winning, is it reminds you of the, of the goal. Right? I mean, we know that we don't actually save the lost. We don't win the soul. We share the gospel. The Spirit does His work, and then they respond. But when we call it soul winning, we, we're reminded of what's at stake. There is an eternal soul that's at stake at what we're doing when we evangelize, when we share the gospel, or when we talk about Jesus. So, for at least now, I'm going to use the phrase, or the term soul winning, to refer to evangelism. Now, if you look at at the passage we're looking at, Paul starts, verse 2, with continuing prayer. And then praying for us that God would open a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Paul understood that... He, that effective soul winning would only happen as God's people prayed for opportunities and for it to be effective. Right? His prayer was for them to pray for Him. Right? Now, I think that's amazing, right? Because Paul was kind of a natural soul winner. Paul was the kind of guy that would, he would walk out to a market and just stand there and strike up conversations with whoever happened to be by. He would street preach if the case was. He went door to door. He did all of the things that you would think of with, with a soul winner. And yet what his prayer for them is, pray. Pray that I would have opportunities. Pray that when those opportunities arose, that I would be able to speak the word boldly and clearly and accurately as I should. Paul understood a principle that we must understand as well. That is successful soul winning requires devoted prayer. Successful soul winning requires devoted prayer. Each one of us should have a great desire to see souls saved and lives changed by the power of the gospel in our community. And since this is our desire, we should make it a matter of prayer. right? Not only pray that God would save people, we certainly pray that, but we pray for, for God to open up opportunities for us to share the gospel. Right? God save them and then be prepared for us to be the answer to that prayer as God works through us to save souls and to change lives. This passage shows us four prayers to pray so that we can make uh, so that our soul winning efforts would be successful. First is pray for opportunities. He says in verse three, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. A door in Scripture usually referred to an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We see this especially in Paul's writing. He says in 1 Corinthians that I will tarry at Ephesus till Pentecost for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. He was going to remain there. Why? Because there was a, a great opportunity for him to share the gospel, for him to talk to people about Jesus. God had opened up a door. It was effectual. And so he was going to stay as long as he could. He says in 2 Corinthians, very similar when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Again, he went there. He was waiting on someone to come. And while he was there, many opportunities arose. These were God given opportunities for him to talk to people about Jesus. So an open door is an opportunity to share the gospel with someone that has not embraced Jesus as Savior and as Lord. 
When we pray for God to open doors, we are praying for God to create a legitimate opportunity for us to talk to others about Jesus. Now, what I take and what I understand about an open door is that it means an opportunity that's not forced. But there are times when it is forced to turn the conversation to spiritual things. It is forced when we try to bring it up, whether that would be just going up to knock on someone's door, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus tonight? Sometimes that is an open door and they are very ready, but most of the time that is one of those opportunities that seems forced. Right? So it's not an opportunity where the we're like one minute we're talking about football. Well, did you see the game the other night? Yeah, I did. Hey, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet? Right? Where we're just kind of chunking it out there in a time when it doesn't fit. We're we're praying for God to open it up so that when we when we do walk through that door, that is a natural part of the conversation. Right? And I think that's a that's an important concept. As we go through our life, we will talk to people. And at various times, there will be natural opportunities to take a normal conversation and begin to bring spiritual stuff into it so that we can lead in to do you know Jesus? Can I show you a verse or two that are really important to me? And again, it will be a way that is natural. It will be a way that is not forced. And it will be a way where the person is receptive. Right? Well, they will say, well, let me, let me think about what you're saying, or let me look at that Bible verse. And when we pray for God to open doors, we're also praying that we would see and open the door. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But every day we talk to people. Right? Every one of us, we talk to people every day. Now, some are Christians, some are not. And so what we're praying for here is for God to open up opportunities during those conversations so that we can talk to people about Jesus. We, we want God to give us opportunities. So that in the middle of a, a regular conversation. We can steer it towards eternally significant things. And we can ask them about the most important need of their soul. Do they know Jesus? Now it will vary in how it happens. Sometimes it may just be an opportunity to invest in their lives. To invite them to church. Right? Every time it goes spiritual, that's not going to be a time where we're going to be able to open Romans Road and say, look at this. Sometimes it'll just be a time where we say, well, I'll pray for you about that. Hey, our church would pray about that. Would you like to come to church? Right? Our church is talking about something very similar to that on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights. Would you like to come and just, you can sit by me and I'll come get you and we'll, yeah, I'll make sure it's not awkward at all. But sometimes it will be an opportunity for us to give a testimony. Oh, that problem. Let me tell you how God helped me in that time. How my faith strengthened me as I went through a hard time like that. Let me show you a Bible verse that really is meaningful to me when I have those situations that are similar to what you're having. And then sometimes it will be an opportunity for us to say, well, let me tell you about Jesus and who He is and what He's done for us. We pray this for open doors for, for those that we know, right? So we're going to go and we're going to have conversations this week and next week with people we know and care about that we know don't know Jesus, or at the very least, we're pretty sure they're not living for Jesus. So we pray for an opportunity that in that conversation, there would be a way for me to talk to them about Christ, 
to talk to them about their soul, to share a Bible verse, a testimony, something with them about Jesus. But we're also going to talk to random people at random times. And in those times of those random people, there may well be an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, to, to have a spiritual conversation. Um, I know a year, year and a half ago, we were at OU Medical Center taking Lizzie in for a doctor's appointment. And, and Kelly was driving the van and she backed up and ran into another van and busted out their taillight. Is that what happened? Oh, oh, maybe it was me that was driving the van. I, I forget. My mind's a little fuzzy sometimes. And so we, we left our name and number and the guy called. And as we were exchanging information and deciding what we were going to do, he was there because his child was actually in the hospital and not doing well. Well, in the midst of that conversation about all that was going on, I was just able to say, well, let me pray for you. Can I, can I pray for your, your son right now? He said, yeah, he was glad to. Right? And, and I didn't share the gospel. I didn't get to lead him to Jesus. I don't know what happened, but that was an opportunity for me to plant a gospel seed. And so in that moment, it was a very natural thing for me to say, can I pray for you? And then I prayed for him, and then we, we went on and we did all the things that we needed to do to take care of what had happened. That's what an open door is. An opportunity to guide the conversation to spiritual things in a way that's natural, in a way that's normal, that's not weird and not uncomfortable. Now, praying this way is important. Because God is the only one who can open the door. We can do all that we can want to do to steer the conversation to spiritual things. But if God is not in it, if God is not opening a door, it just won't work. It will feel forced. It will be awkward. It will fall on deaf ears. But forcing a conversation to spiritual things is not the same thing as God opening a door and us walking through it. Any of us can force a conversation to be spiritual at any moment. We can just walk up and we can take our Bible and we can throw it down on the table and we can say, look at this verse and let's talk about it. That doesn't mean it's going to be effective. It's going to do any good at all. What we're praying for is for God to work in a way so that in the middle of a, a normal conversation that we can shift things over so that we can talk to them about Jesus. Successful soul winning requires devoted prayer for opportunities. Secondly, we pray for opportunities, but also pray for clarity. Look at what Paul says. With a praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Right? He wants them to make it clear. He wants, an op he wants them to pray that when those opportunities arise, that he would speak the gospel in a very, very clear way. Now, there's two aspects of this I think are important. One is the aspect of we have to talk. Right? At some point, no matter what we're doing, no matter how we live, what we're trying, we actually have to verbalize the gospel if we want to see people saved. Now, that's important. Because most popular books on evangelism in our day deal with like friendship evangelism and lifestyle evangelism, which teach us that essentially if you just live a good Christian life in front of people, they'll see how you live and they're going to want to know Jesus. And you're never going to have to have that awkward conversation. You're never going to have to talk to them about sin and redemption and all of those other things. Now, there is some truth to that. The way we live certainly matters. 
Right? We cannot live like an unredeemed world and then talk to somebody about their need for Jesus and expect that to fall on anything but deaf ears. Right? We cannot be the most hateful people in our office and then try to talk to them about the love of God and expect them to think that we really understand what the love of God is. How we live matters. But how we live doesn't redeem people. How we live won't bring them to faith. How we live gives credibility to the words that we say. At some point, words have to be spoken because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Right? So at some point, we do have to be able to explain the Gospel. And that's why we pray to speak it clearly. Now, overall, the gospel message is pretty simple. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose to life on the third day. That all those who repent of their sins and believe on Him are saved. Now, that's the simple message of the gospel. Um, and since the gospel is pretty simple, we should try to explain it as simply as possible. Right? We should do all that we can to make sure we are not confusing it and convoluting it with Christianese and all of these other things that aren't essential at that moment. In the point of evangelism, what matters is that we're explaining what is most important. That is their need for Jesus. Now, there are a lot of ways we can explain the gospel. And we'll talk about some, I think, next week. Uh, there's like four spiritual laws is a common one. The ABCs of salvation. The way of the Master. We share Jesus without fear. Romans road to salvation. All of these. And we'll look at some next week, I think. Uh, some are better than others. But all are good. So long as the basic elements of the gospel are present. Right. So if we're trying to explain the gospel clearly, what basic elements need to be there? Well, first, Jesus has to be the message. But Jesus is the message. The gospel centers on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just about a guy named Jesus who lived long ago and was tragically killed by the oppressive religious establishment. That's not the gospel. No, the gospel is about the Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose to life on the third day, to prove that all he had said was true and that he did indeed have the power to forgive sins and save the lost. But if we do not explain clearly the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have not shared the gospel. Right? And this is critically important because there are many competing but distracting messages in our day. Right? And I say this a lot, but I'm going to say it every time we talk about this because it's critical. Right? Politics isn't the message. Jesus is. Morality isn't the message. Jesus is. Standards aren't the message. Jesus is. We must focus on the message of Jesus. People need our Jesus. They don't need our politics. They don't need our morality. They don't need our standards. And they don't need our preferences. They need our Jesus. If we drop the ball at Jesus and we convince them of our politics, we have not led them to salvation. If we drop the ball at Jesus and we lead them to our morality, we have not led them to Jesus. If we drop the ball at Jesus and we lead them to our standards or our 
preferences, we have not led them to salvation. We must focus on Jesus and explain the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus clearly. Jesus is the message. Secondly, sin does have to be addressed. This is part of what makes the gospel uncomfortable. Because while the gospel is good news, there is also a bad news that's a part of it. And sin is a part of the bad news. But we cannot faithfully explain the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus without addressing sin. Because without sin, why did Jesus die? Because of sin. Why do I need Jesus? Because of my sin. But a part of explaining the gospel message is explaining that all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. All people have to understand that they have sinned against a holy God. And they are justly condemned for that sin. If they do not understand that, they will never understand the significance of Jesus' death on the cross. He did not die so that we could have our best life now. He did not die so that there would be no pain and sickness and hardships in our life. He did not die just so that we could go to heaven. He died to pay the penalty that our sins had earned. So as we explain the gospel, we have to communicate to people that Jesus died for your sin. His death was because of your sin to pay the penalty that your sin earned. It is only when people understand their guilt that they see their need for salvation. What do I need to be saved from if I'm not guilty of sinning against a holy and a righteous God? People do not understand that Jesus died for them. They do not understand the message of the gospel. If people do not believe that Jesus died for their sin, they do not believe the message of the gospel. If we have not addressed the very basics of sin, we have not shared the gospel. Thirdly, repentance is required. The most basic definition of repentance is a change of mind about God and sin that results in a change of life. Repentance recognizes that God is right about our sin, the severity of our sin, the wickedness of our sin, and our lack of righteousness. Repentance then turns to God from the sin, seeking forgiveness from God and righteousness that is found in Christ. But you could use, I mean, there are all kinds of ways to explain repentance. We could look, go the Amos route. Uh, well, maybe it's not Amos. I think it is, though. Amos says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? Right? Our sin is leading us in one direction. Jesus never walks in the way of our sin. He's walking in a different direction. So how do I go from walking in my sin to walking with Jesus? I have to turn to Jesus and, and go with Him. right? And so I must turn from my sin, turn to Jesus, and believe that Jesus did die, that He did rise from the dead. Biblically speaking, the, the, the response the Gospel demands, that it's not come to the altar, it's not raise your hand, it is repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we are leading people to. 
We explain Jesus. We explain sin. And then we urge them to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons God has us where we are is so that we can interact with people who are not yet part of His kingdom. God's eternal plan is to use ordinary people like us to take the message of the gospel to a lost and a dying world. And we don't do any good when we cloud the message with convoluted issues. We don't do any good when we replace the message with the competing messages. We don't do any good if we neglect Jesus, if we neglect sin, or the biblical response to the gospel. So that's why we have to study, but we also have to pray. So pray. Uh, successful soul winning requires devoted prayer for clarity. So we pray for opportunities, pray for clarity. Thirdly, pray for wisdom. Paul says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Those who are without are those who are without Christ, those who are outside the kingdom. So what Paul is essentially saying is pay attention as you go through your life, being aware of the opportunities that arise to tell someone about Jesus. The reality is we are surrounded by people each and every day who do not know who Jesus is. We have conversations with people each and every day who do not know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And these provide us with opportunities to turn ordinary conversations into spiritual conversations if we're aware. I like what Jesus said. Say not, there are yet four months, then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white unto harvest. The opportunities to have spiritual conversations are there. If we just have the wisdom to see them. Now one reason it takes wisdom is because there is no one way to turn a nor, an ordinary conversation into a spiritual conversation. Now a lot of books on evangelism and a lot of evangelists teach to memorize acronyms or key phrases that will help you to turn a conversation to spiritual things. And while those can be helpful, it can also be frustrating because conversations with normal people don't follow a pre-programmed outline. Do they? Conversations go all over the map. And so it can be frustrating when you've got this outline in your head and you're trying to force them to go the direction you want them to go. And what happens is either we get frustrated because the conversation's not going the way we want it to go or we end up domineering the conversation. And at that point, it's not really a conversation at all. Let me ask you, how many have ever had a Jehovah's Witness come by to talk to you? Knocked on your door. Did you ever actually talk to them? Right? Not just say no thank you or anything, but actually talk to them. If you have, you've noticed that they tend to dominate the conversation. Virtually everything they say and everything they do is meant to guide the conversation in the way that they want it to go. In the end, it's less of a conversation and more of a sales presentation. That's not what we're doing. We're not out to sell Jesus. We're not out to use a slick presentation to convince people to pray a prayer. We are trying to legitimately introduce someone to Jesus Christ so that He can save their souls. Sales presentations lack the care 
that is necessary in truly trying to reach someone. I mean, that's the motivation behind our sharing the gospel. We love Jesus and we love them. And we want them to love each other. We want them to love Jesus as well. I think the Apostle Paul set one of the best examples of this uh, in Thessalonica. When he went to them and he wrote to them, he said that when he spoke to them, he spoke as one who had been entrusted with the gospel. That's a great phrase, right? You ever thought about that? You and I, we are entrusted with the gospel and our speech should reflect that. Also, he said that he spoke as one who sought to please God and not men, right? Because Paul knew that this message that deals with sin and repentance, it's not always going to be popular by men. I can't be a person pleaser and a God pleaser at the same time if I'm trying to share the gospel. It's going to get complicated. And then he said, he didn't use flattering words, nor did he seek glory from people. Well, that's a lot to say he didn't do, isn't it? He didn't try to please them. He tried to please God. He didn't use flattering words and tell them how great they were. He wasn't seeking them to praise him for anything he did. But instead, here's what he said he did do. He was gentle among them, even as a nurse, a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of them, he was willing to have imparted unto them not only the gospel, but also his own soul, because they were dear unto him. Again, what a great passage that is. You cannot affectionately desire God's good for someone and do a slick presentation at the same time. You cannot impart your own soul unto them And do a slick presentation at the same time. That takes a relationship. To do what Paul did there takes a relationship. It takes legitimate, genuine conversation. That may or may not always go as smoothly and as quickly towards spiritual things as we like. It requires time on our part to invest. To let them know that we care about them. Right, That they're not just a, a notch on our Bible to say, look how many people I have presented the gospel to. Look how many people I've convinced to pray a prayer. One book on evangelism I'm reading said that in conversations that we should plow and pursue. And I, like the, I use that because I like the way he said it. He said we plow into the conversation enjoying it immensely. Right? It's meant to be truly we care about them. And we enjoy our time with them. We enjoy the effort of trying to reach them. We enjoy them as people. Because we, we do care. We do want God's best for them. And that begins with Jesus. To me, that, that plow into the conversation, enjoy it immensely, that's a good picture of what Paul is talking about there. Right? I mean, to enjoy the conversation, that's a, that seems like kind of giving them your soul. And not just the gospel. Anyone. Without care for people, without care for anyone, anyone can knock on the door, pull out the Bible and say, let me, here, let me show you this. That's not, that's not that. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a diligence. It takes an awareness of the opportunities that are around us in these conversations. And as the conversation goes on, what we do is we listen for statements from them 
that may be used as some sort of a spiritual lead-in. Do they mention anxiety? Well, if so, the the Bible talks about that, doesn't it? it? Do they mention a lack of peace? Well, the Bible talks about that. Do they mention fear of the future? The Bible talks about that. Fear in general. The Bible talks about that. A general unhappiness with life. The Bible talks about that. Do they talk about death? Fear of death. The Bible talks about that. Right? Wisdom comes in that when we hear these statements and recognize them as a lead-in to steer the conversation to spiritual things. Right? Now keep in mind, this is a, a conversation with a live human being. So the conversation may go in a hundred different directions. Uh, I'm sure you've had conversations with people where you said something and they didn't register it and they went on. They mentioned anxiety. And you say, hey, the Bible talks about anxiety, that we can pray and that God will relieve our anxiety. And they don't hear, they don't pay attention, and they go on to something else. We don't then go, oh, 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 back over here, back over here. right? Because we don't do that in a normal conversation. We... We know that the conversation may go all over the place. But we're there. We're enjoying the conversation. We're enjoying the time with the person. We're enjoying a relationship with Him so that we can talk to them about Jesus. But not every lead-in that we try to take is actually going to lead to a gospel presentation. And that's okay. Because we're plowing and we're pursuing and we know that that takes time. And we have to be willing to take the time necessary. Forcing the conversation will make it seem as though we see the person as a project to be fixed instead of a person to be cared for. Yes, we want them to repent of their sins and believe the gospel and be saved. But if we care about them, we want to give them ourselves and not just the gospel. And it takes wisdom to know when to push the spiritual conversation and when to let it go. What Bible verses to use in a particular situation, which ones not to use? What issues to to say to use as a lead-in and which issues not to use as a lead-in? We need wisdom to know when to talk and when to listen and when to pray. It takes wisdom to know a, a closed door may open tomorrow if we don't try to kick it down and we just keep praying. Successful soul living winning requires devoted prayer for wisdom. And then finally, pray for graciousness. Those who have received grace should extend grace and be gracious to others. And this graciousness will be seen in this instance in our speech. Let your speech Be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Gracious speech is courteous and kind instead of mean and rude. Now obviously, we do have to speak the truth in love. The truth in an uncompromising way. Someone says, is this a sin? And the Bible says it is. It is not gracious and kind to say, well, I don't know. Instead, we have to say, well, that's what the Bible says. We do have to stand where Scripture stands. We cannot waffle or compromise in any way. 
But we have to do it in love. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 that we are to speak the truth in love. And that balance is difficult, but that balance is critical. If we go in with all truth, we come across as uncaring and legalistic and harsh. If we come in with all love and no truth, we come across as waffly and a God made of Play-Doh that just wants them to be happy and they can shape Him however they want. There has to be truth. Yes, that's what the Bible says. But love, I love you and so does God in spite of whatever this is that's going on. Several examples we could use in Scripture of this. I think the best is Jesus. Think about Jesus with the woman at the well in the Gospel of John. He was very direct in dealing with her sin, wasn't he? Go get your husband. Oh, sir, I don't have a husband. You're right. You had four. The dude you're living with now is not your husband. I mean, that's a, that's a bold, direct statement, isn't it? And yet at the same time, he was very loving in how he said he didn't put her down. He didn't come across in a self-righteous, condemning manner. He didn't tell her what a horrible human being she was. He was just very direct and yet very loving and compassionate at the same time. That's the example you and I, we are meant to follow. And there is a blueprint for this for us. Turn over to 2 Timothy 2. Start at verse 23. But foolish and ignorant questions avoid, knowing they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. But this is a, it tells us the goal of engaging people. It shows us the way to engage people to achieve this goal. But first, notice that we're to avoid foolish and unlearned or ignorant questions because they generate strife. So whatever we do, we're not to generate strife. Or at least that's not the goal. Let me put it that way. There are any number of innocent things we can say that will generate strife in, in the culture the way it is today, you never know what someone's going to take offense at and kind of fly off the handle at. You can't live in fear of that. You can't always never say anything because somebody might take it the wrong way because there's no even your silence can be taken the wrong way and somebody can generate strife. The point is we're not out to start strife. We don't say it just to get a rise out of them. We're not saying it to poke them, to make them angry, or to put them in their place. That's not the point of what we do. Um, and then second, we see that in verse 25, that we're to do it in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Well, verse 24 and 25. We're not to be strife, we're not to strive, but we're to be gentle, patient, and meek in all that we do. Now, all of these attitudes are important as we seek to share the gospel with people. Sometimes how we say something is as if not more important than what we're saying. That's a huge thing to get. You can say the right thing with the wrong attitude or the wrong tone of voice and derail everything. 
We have to be careful to say the right truth, but we have to be careful to say it in the right way as well. Right? He says that they are they must be apt to teach. And the idea there, it doesn't mean that we have to be able to, to teach everything about everything that there is to teach. But if I'm going to engage someone with the gospel, I need to be able to explain the gospel and I need to be able to explain it from the Bible. Right? If I'm going to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, I'm going to need to show them in the Bible where Jesus says He's the only way to heaven. If I'm going to say that all have sinned, I'm going to need to show them where in the Bible it says all have sinned. And I'm going to need to be able to explain to them what sin is and be able to explain to them how they've sinned. If I'm going to say they must repent and they must believe, I'm going to need to be able to explain to them from the Bible where that is. It is not enough to go and say, well, that's what our church teaches or that's what my preacher said or that's what a book I read said. No, no. I'm going to have to be able to show them from the Bible what it is, why they need Jesus, why Jesus is the only way, why their sin is serious, why they must repent. It also says that we have to be patient. That's hard. Patience is difficult. But think about what we're calling on people to do. We are telling them They have sinned against a holy God. And they are guilty and they are condemned. And they, the only hope they have is to believe in the death and resurrection of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. And that they must forsake their sins and they must follow Him. That is a radical worldview, life-altering shift we're asking them to make. Does anyone ever really make massive changes in their lives quickly? Not usually. I mean, even think about just in the physical realm. How many people, if you go to the doctor tomorrow and he says you've got massive health issues and you have to eat tofu for the rest of your life, tofu and water and nothing else... How many of us are going to go and throw away our bacon and just buy tofu? Or are we not going to go to a doctor and say, let me get a second opinion? Right? We're, going to, we're not going to make even a radical shift in our eating habits based upon one man's statement. We're going to go from him to this one and maybe to a specialist and over there. And then once everybody has agreed, then we'll say, okay, I guess I'll throw away all my bacon and eat tofu and drink water for the rest of my life. What we're asking them to do is far greater than that. It's going to take time. We can't get frustrated that they don't accept after one sharing of the gospel. We have to share and share and be patient and give them our lives and be there and do on and on and on. And then we have to be humble. We have to be meek as we do it. We need this humility because at one point or another, we've all been on the wrong side of truth. I mean, unless you were born, born again. At one point, you were a sinner that rejected Jesus too. At one point, somebody shared the gospel with you. And unless you received Christ the very first time you heard it, you put people off, you argued back, you resisted, you rejected, you did, I did it. Aren't you glad somebody was patient with you? And if we're glad somebody was patient with us, we should be humble enough to be patient with others.
humility, this meekness, it removes pride and self-righteousness from our attitude because we know there but by the grace of God, that's where we would be. Jesus had not intervened. We would still be arrogant. We would still be sinful. We would still be living in rejection. And that knowledge tempers everything else. Makes us meek. Makes us humble. And all of this leads us to the goal. Why do we engage them? We're instructing. Now notice that they oppose themselves. I love that phrase. They're in opposition to their actually their own best interest in pushing back against the gospel. But we're doing this so that God can grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth that they can escape the snare of the devil. That's the goal. Right? We're not trying to win an argument. We're not trying to put them in their place. We're not trying to tell them what dirty sinners they are and make them feel bad. We want them to come to repentance, to know the truth, to escape the snare of the devil, put their lives in Jesus' hands, and be saved. That requires graciousness in our speech. That requires us not to get irritated when they push back. That requires us not to be short with them if they're short with us. It requires us to do all sorts of things that we may not normally like to do. But the goal, the salvation of their soul, it is worth the effort. It is worth the time. It is worth what we put forth. We must be gracious in our speech. Successful soul winning requires devoted prayer for graciousness. Successful soul winning requires devoted prayer. Now that's that's a truth that we have to get. And what's great about this is that we can pray these requests for any number of people. We, we can and we should pray them for ourselves. As I go throughout my life, I should pray these for me. Pray them for one another. Hey, pray them for me. Pray them every day for me. I would love that. Pray them for missionaries. Our missionaries on the field, it doesn't matter if they're in Uruguay, if they're in India, if they're in Africa. Guess what they need? They need opportunities. They need to be able to speak clearly. They need wisdom. And they need to be gracious in their speech. We can pray these prayers for soul winning going on anywhere in the world. And we should. We pray them for us first to reach our community. And then we can spread out from there. Choose tonight. Let's choose tonight to be a people who are devoted to praying for successful soul winning in Guyman, in Oklahoma, in America, and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And tonight we need you, God, to help us. Help us, Father, as we go through our lives that we would be effective soul winners. We cannot do this apart from you. Give us the opportunities this week to talk to someone about Jesus. Lord, if it's an opportunity to testify about how good, how gracious, and how kind He's been, help us to do that. If it's an opportunity to pray, whatever the opportunities are, give us open doors and give us the courage to go through them. Help us that we would speak clearly and that as we begin to talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that, Lord, we would stick to the very basics and say what needs to be said, no more and no less. Help us, Father, that we would be wise to see the opportunities, that we would be wise to take the opportunities. We would be wise in knowing what 
what to share and when to stop and how to do what needs to be done. And then help us to be gracious. Our culture is increasingly just angry about everything in general. And it is easy to respond in anger to an angry world. And yet that's not how you've called us to be. Guide us that we would be gracious all the time, but particularly as we seek to talk to others about their need for Jesus Christ. Have your way in our lives. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.